We're Missio Phoenix, a community of God's people learning to live in God's ways for the sake of our city. We are in Malachi chapter 3. We're going to finish chapter 3 this morning. And then next week, we'll finish the book. There's only uh, like six or so verses, if I remember correctly, in chapter 4 that we'll look at next week. But this week, Malachi 3, we're going to look at verses 6 through 18. As you're turning there, um, I just need a, a moment to kind of like recalibrate myself. I took a swig from my water bottle, and there was a chunk that I swallowed of something, and I was like, ooh, what was that? And then I remembered my youngest likes to drink out of my water bottle. And I looked and I was like, oh yeah, it's halfway empty already. Like the dude got to it. I didn't even see him drink out of it. And he left me a nice little surprise. And so I, uh, I switched out for coffee. So I'm gonna be drinking coffee because I didn't want to tell you guys that story and then have you see me drink out of the water bottle again later. That would be distracting. So now I have my coffee up here with me. But I thought about that is kind of like what God said in last week's text, what he would do with his people is he's going to come like a refiner's fire, which the fire would burn away the impurities from a metal and leave only what is pure. Or like a launderer's soap where they would like scour and scrub because they didn't have wash machines back then. And it was painful, but they would get out the stains and the oils and the dirt from the clothes and leave only what's pure in the material there. And I thought, God, could you do that for my water bottle too, please? And do that for whatever I just swallowed as well. Like, get that out of here. It was gross. <laughs> uh, but what we've been seeing in Malachi is God having this conversation with his people. And he's, he's coming saying, first, he starts with, I love you. I've always loved you. I still love you. I will always love you. And that's never going to change. And that's a beautiful place to start. And then having said that, I have some grievances with you, right? And so he goes into, you haven't loved me, though. You haven't respected me. You haven't honored my name. You have no uh, allegiance to me even. And then he moves from there, as we talked about last week, looking at like when Jesus says, the greatest command is this, to love the Lord your God and to love others. That's, that's what God moves through with his people. It's his first top two issues with them. You have not loved me and you don't even love one another. You don't even love your own family. You don't even love your own wives, men of Israel. And he moves to, and and because of that, because you don't love me, not only do you not love one another and the people closest to you, you don't love the outsiders that I've called you to, the people who I've told you to welcome in. You don't love them well. And so he, he leaves off that section where we left off last week, Malachi 3, verses 5 and 6, and he says this, I will come to you in judgment, and I will be ready to witness against sorcerers and adulterers against those who swear falsely, against those who oppress the hired worker, the widow and the fatherless, and against those who deny justice to the resident alien. They do not fear me, says the Lord of armies, because I, the Lord, have not changed. You descendants of Jacob have not been destroyed. There's so much in that, that because we're covering like whole chapters in a week that we didn't get to talk about last week, that is so important before we move forward in the rest of chapter three today. So first of all, he's talking about this coming day of the Lord. Like, I'm going to come, and if we were to back up earlier in chapter 3, he says, who can stand? Israel, you have not loved me. You have not loved one another. You have not loved outsiders well. Who's going to be able to stand when that great day of the Lord comes to get rid of all the impurities? Because you yourselves have been impure. And then he starts listing. 
And what he's doing is he's breaking down all the grievances he's just said. The sorcerers, like many of us hear that and we go like, okay, cool. I'm not into like Harry Potter stuff. I'm safe there, right? But sorcery, in what scripture is talking about sorcery, is anytime someone would use something of the spiritual nature, of the spiritual realm, for their own benefit. And this would often happen with other false gods. And other false gods, uh, would, the belief would be at times, especially during this day, that as, as low as like you would sacrifice your children for them. People were killing their babies to get something from this false god. So that in itself was even called sorcery. And you go, okay, yeah, I'm not doing that either. There's people in our day that are, but that's not me, right? But listen, listen to that definition. Anytime you're using something of the spiritual nature to gain for yourself, and what God's first grievance was is you do not love me, honor me, respect me. And he started talking about all these terrible sacrifices they were bringing to his altar. He was talking about the, the ways that they would kind of go, okay, we're doing this thing to appease our God so that he'll give us the nation we want. Sorcery. Or maybe like we go to God with a request. We, God, would you do this for me? And we kind of like, we feel like we stamp it with that in Jesus' name, amen. And we feel like I said the magic words, God. Now you got to do the thing I asked. Sorcery. And maybe we wouldn't say like that's what we're doing cognitively, but if I'm honest with myself, sometimes like that's really what I'm thinking behind the prayer. So he's going, you haven't loved me. You're trying to use me to get what you want. And so we go, okay, I'm I, I still not buying it, Chris. I'm not a sorcerer. Move on. I'm good on the day of the Lord when that comes. All right. And adulterers. And you go, yep. Some of you in here are going, yep, I'm good there. Right? And then you forget that Jesus said, if you even look at another person with lust in your heart, that's adultery. Okay, so maybe, maybe we're not all going to be honest in here, and some of us are still like, yeah, I'm safe there. I'm good there. And I love how Jesus, or how God just throws in right here in the middle of this, because he's going to get to, like, not loving other people as well, too. So not loving me, sorcery, not loving one another, adultery. And he's going to get to not loving the outsider in just a moment. But then he throws in there this, like, and liars. Just in case any of you thought you were safe. Right? Like, anybody in here ever told a lie? Me too. Maybe you're lying to yourself right now about that, right? Chances are we've, we've all missed the mark on that one too. And so then he gets to not loving others well. Those who oppress the hired worker, the widow, and the fatherless, against those who deny justice to the foreigner, or your, your version might say the sojourner, or this one says the resident alien. He says, all of those people do not fear me. And so we have this problem where we go, when Jesus returns, like how many of us are going like, man, this world is a mess. We need Jesus to come back. That's our hope. But here's this problem. When Jesus returns to be the launderer to clean your dirty laundry, when he returns to be the Brita to purify my water bottle, when he returns to be the fire that burns away the impurities from the metals, we're all impure. What do we do with that? And then he drops this beautiful one-liner verse of hope in verse six. Because I, the Lord, have not changed, you, descendants of Jacob, have not been destroyed. 
Not because you have turned back to me, not because you have placed your trust in me, not because you have held up your side of the covenant agreement, not because you have loved me well, you have loved one another well, and you have loved others well. You haven't. But because I have not changed, God says, because I still hold to my promises, because I'm still a good God, even in the midst of a broken world, because I and not given up on my mission of bringing full restoration to my creation. That's why you still live. You have not been destroyed. Good news. Remember, he starts with, I have loved you. I still love you. I will always love you. This is the God who is good and never changes. He will always be good, and he will always be true to his word and his promise. And so now what he's going to move on to as we explore the rest of chapter three this morning is he now says, now will you at least just trust me? Trust me. You failed at holding up your side of it, but you're not gonna get destroyed as an impurity in the refiner's fire. You will be able to remain pure if you trust me, the one who does not change. And so he moves forward and in verse seven, He says, since the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes. You've turned from my ways. You have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. This is what his statement he's making. Listen, turn back to me, place your trust back in me, and you will stand on the day of the Lord. Who can stand? Those who place their trust in me. And so what we're going to read following, I'm going to read the rest of the chapter now, and it's going to sound like it's talking a lot about money. And you're going to think, oh, great, here's another one of these church sermons on tithing. And then it's going to have this weird talk about a book of remembrance. And we're going to be like, what is that about? I want you to bear with me, and I want us to see all of this is about God asking his people, will you trust me? So continuing in verse 8. Sorry, at the end of verse 7. He says, yet you ask, how can we return? And this is what he says. Will a man rob God, yet you are robbing me? How do we rob you, you ask? By not making the payments of the tenth and the contributions. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not ruin the produce of your land and your vine in your field will not fail to produce fruit, says the Lord of armies. Then all the nations will consider you fortunate for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of armies. I'm actually gonna pause there. We'll read 13 through 18 in a moment. Father, we ask that you would help us to clearly hear you speak to us this morning. God, not just to read prophetic literature from the Old Testament thousands and thousands of years ago and learn something new about you, but God, to hear you speak to us today, your children here and now, that you would transform us by your word and by your spirit. We ask this in the power of the name of Jesus, your son. Amen. So this is, uh, if you were to look for sermons on Malachi 3, number one thing that's going to pop up is a sermon on this whole idea of like, hey, give the 10th, give your tithe, 
test me in this and see if I don't just bless you abundantly, right? And so that's our message for this morning is before we leave, there's a box there, there's a box there. You can do it on the website, missiophx.com. Click on give in the top right corner. Make sure you select Phoenix from the drop-down menu so it doesn't go to Mesa or Tempe. They have enough money, all right? And if you do that, and if, you, and if you pass this email I'm going to send you on to 10 more people, you will be blessed beyond measure today. You'll live a long, happy life. Sorcery, guys. We don't, we don't do that. We don't drop things in the box in order to get something from God, right? That's where we started this morning. We don't do that to earn God's favor. We don't do that so we will be blessed. This is God saying, are you going to trust me with your livelihood? So the 10th of the giving for people during this time, it was not going, okay, here's a cut a check to Uncle Sam. Actually, I already took it. I'm going to do that. Now I got to, here's my tie. Then I'm going to write a check for my paycheck. What do I got left? This was, what, what did they have? They had crops. They had cattle. They had something that was their livelihood, literally. Something to eat, Right? something to sell to other people, to pay, their wage, to pay their taxes to the Persian empire that was ruling over them at this time so that they didn't get thrown into jail. This is what kept them alive. And God's saying, before you do anything with it, take a tenth of that, set it aside, bring it into the storehouse of the temple. This is to provide for the priests who are there ministering in the temple so that they actually have food. They're not out there working land, growing crops. They don't have that. So keep them alive, right? Let them have some food to eat. That's, there's a, a very practical thing with that. Bring that in, let them have some food to eat. But also a, a tenth of what you have comes in and it helps continue, not just the temple to run well, it helps continue to allow the whole city to run well. What was the government of Israel back in this day, Right? They weren't paying taxes to Uncle Sam. They were paying it to Persia, but that was just so that, that was like paying off the mafia to make sure they don't come and destroy your property, right? Like, we'll protect you. Like, you got to pay us though. That's essentially what was going on there. But what was, what was supposed to be the government of Israel? God was supposed to be their king. So this was to allow for the flourishing of the whole community. Someone is in need, doesn't have anything, Guess what? You can go to the temple and you could request. They have it in the storehouse there. So what God's saying is, bring this into the the temple, bring this into the storehouse, not because I need it, but because you as a community need this. And what were people doing? They were were holding on to a little bit. They were going, okay, let let me count what I have. Last night, my sons, my older sons, they had a birthday last week, and so they were counting money that they got, birthday money, you know, and they're counting it, and they go, okay, uh, what do I got to put aside for tithe, because we have them do that, and what do I got to put aside for savings, and I was like, okay, what do I have left? What am I going to buy? I don't have enough for that new Xbox yet. All right, I'm going to save, put more into savings, right? But what would happen for Israelites during this time is they were actually living under oppression, and they were a poor people. So when it came time to counting what they had and going, okay, what do we set aside for God? Now, what do I have left? After paying off the Persian governor and after setting aside for God, what's left? Oh, dang. 
not that much. Let me take a little bit back from God here. I can't take anything back from what I'm supposed to pay the Persian governor with because they will just straight up kill me. So take a little away from what I'm supposed to give to God. Here you go, priest. Here's the rest of mine. And God's going, hey, that's not what I asked you to do. You're not trusting me. Do you remember that God who brought Israelites out of Egypt into the wilderness and you had no food? And I said, here's some food for you. And literally bread rained from the sky and you called it what the? That's what manna means, by the way. What the? Like literally, what is going on here? Bread's falling from the sky. This is the God who provides for you. Do you remember when you tried to store up more of that bread each day for yourselves because you were worried you wouldn't have enough the next day? I told you not to do it, just collect what you need for the day. But you said, no, 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 we got to make sure we have enough. What if God doesn't come through tomorrow? And then when you tried that, it was like rotten and filled with maggots the next day. But do you remember how I told you the day before the Sabbath, because I, I want you to actually rest on the Sabbath. I want you to have rest for your bodies, for your souls. Do you remember that the day before the Sabbath, you could actually go and collect twice as much? And that somehow, mysteriously, that next day, that manna did not spoil. It's incredible. Do you remember that, God? I'm the same God, he's saying. Are you still going to trust me now? This is why when Jesus tells that story much, much later in this story, when he's, he's sitting there and he's, pointing out this guy who goes in and very loudly is like, hey, look at all this money I'm putting into the offering. Look how holy I am. He's trying to use something that God had said to do in order to gain something for himself. Gain some respect, some notoriety. Hey, everyone look up to me. God, don't you see how good I am? Sorcery. But he points out this widow who has nothing and the last two coins she has, she puts in there trusting, it sounds foolish to us, right? That's not being a good steward, right? We would say, but trusting that God has more than enough and will provide for her. A couple years back, this is a few years back, uh, before I was actually freed up by you guys, amazingly and generously to be paid to actually serve the church. Uh, I, was, I was, as Anthony said earlier, I was an unpaid volunteer pastor with the church and I was running a nonprofit. We were going to schools, talking about character, making good choices, leadership development. And I was running that nonprofit, making sure other employee was paid first and we didn't have a whole lot. So we were living in an apartment and I remember doing our taxes that year and I saw we made 17,000 that year for a family of five. And for many people, that's a lot, right? I saw that and I looked at it when I did my taxes and I was like, oh, I had like this like moment of like self-pity, depression. <laughs> I was like, man, I'm not a good provider. And then I thought about that whole year. I looked back on that whole year. And I thought about how we had like our entire church over to our apartment pool and fed everybody. And I thought about how we had neighbors who slept on our couch. And I thought about how we gave a car away. And I thought about how we paid all of our bills and still had more left over. And I was like, I'm not a good provider, but my father is. Now, I don't share that story to brag on like what we did that year because like that was a moment of God showing me, hey, will you trust me? I've got more than enough because there's been other moments where I felt like I earned 
enough and I felt like I was providing for our family and then I was super stingy with my money. So I'm that same person who like rolls up the car window when he sees someone on the street corner. I'm the same person who hears someone in my missional community sharing how they have this bill. They don't know how they're gonna pay. And I, I feel the spirit going like, hey, maybe you can help them out. And I go, ah, I don't know. So I'm not bragging on myself. What I'm sharing that story for is to say that year, we felt like so close to the Lord because we were forced to rely on him and to trust in him. And God's saying to the people of Israel at this time, you don't have much, but I have everything. Will you trust me with the little you have? Because I gave it to you anyway. It's mine anyway. And when you do, I promise I will care for you. I promise I'm a good dad who will care for his children. That's the point of that verse. It's not that we give so that we can get, right? It's trusting that God is in full control and he will provide for us. So he's going, listen, you haven't loved me well. You haven't loved each other well. You haven't loved others well. Will you at least trust me though, that I'm God and I'm good and I'm in control? Turn back to me. And I love this, how chapter three ends here because there's just been like, Malachi's been hard, right? Have you guys felt that? It's been hard. God starts with, I love you. I've always loved you. I will always love you. But man, it's just like, after that, it's like, this is what you're doing wrong. This is what you're doing wrong. This is what you're doing wrong. And if we're honest with ourselves, at least for me, it's been hard because every single one of those things, I go, yeah, that's what I'm doing wrong. But I love chapter three. He finishes off with this. We'll continue on verse 13. And it gives us a little bit of a glimmer of hope once again. So God says this first. He says, your words against me are harsh, says the Lord. And yet you ask, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What have we gained by keeping his requirements and walking mournfully before the Lord of armies? So now we consider the arrogant to be fortunate. Not only do those who commit wickedness prosper, they even test God and escape. So God's people once again are saying, God, really, you want us to give all of our stuff to you? You want us to give a tenth of what we have to you? We see all, all these other people around us who are wicked, who don't serve you, who are doing just fine. We see the Persians who are wicked to us doing great. They have way more than we do. Have you guys ever looked around and said, why does it seem like the people who don't love and follow and trust God, the people who are doing bad, are doing way better than us? Have you ever wondered that? Why does it seem like God's providing for them more than for me? God, I, I'm, I'm serving you. I'm so righteous. Where's my new car, right? And so that's what... God's people are saying in this moment, but listen to this. There's a few, there's a few who respond this way. This was the cry of like the multitude of Israel. Why would we serve God? What's in it for us? But this is how a few respond. Verse 16, at that time, those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. The Lord took notice and listened. We'll read that line again. The Lord took notice and listened. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who feared the Lord and had high regard for his name. They will be mine, says the Lord of armies, my own possession on the day I am preparing. I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. So you will again see the difference between the righteous and the wicked between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. 
What did these people do in that moment? What did they do to prove themselves to God? What action did we read about just then? Nothing yet, right? They literally just started saying to one another, wait a second, the Lord God is good. We can trust him. We have been wicked. Let's turn back to him. And God says, yes, that's what I've been wanting. God says, yes. I literally, let me write your names down in this book of remembrance. You will, it's, you're not going anywhere. You're mine. I'm holding on to you. I'm keeping you. I will protect you. I will provide for you. You are my people and I am your God. We talked about this in, in the last book we studied, that this is a refrain over and over throughout scripture. I will be your God. You will be my people. This is the promise God gave to Israel. And he's saying, yes, this promise continues with you who turn to me and trust me. Is that a, an egotistical God who's waiting for you to go, oh, okay, I, I need you, God. It's like, all right, scratch my ego, good, I got what I want. No, it's, it's, it's a God who recognizes that you are only safe and only provided for and only protected and only have life when you are under the care of the one who gave you life in the first place. They're turning to all these other gods. I was talking with uh, Brian Lamka the other day, one of our missionaries in Ecuador. You guys know the Lamkas well. I was talking with Brian the other day about that. And that was a question that he was wrestling through with one of the people there in Ecuador of, of going like, is, is this God like egotistical? Like he just wants us to worship him and worship him alone. And I thought of the idea of one of my kids, not just coming to me and saying, hey, uh, Anthony is a better dad. I want to go live with Anthony, Right? Because you could make that argument, Anthony's a better dad than me. So it's not an equivalent. It would be like them saying, Millie is a better provider for us, our dog. Millie is a better caretaker for us. I'm leaving and Millie's now gonna be my parent and she's gonna provide for me and I don't need you, dad. And me going, all right, fine, get out of here. No, I'm just kidding, that's not, me, I would go, you guys, She can't provide for you. She can't protect you. She can't teach you. That's that's dangerous. You're going to have a miserable life and it's not going to last very long. I'm your dad. You're safe here under my care and my protection. And this is what the people of Israel were doing. The multitudes were going, no, no, no. What about about the way these other people are living? Let's Let's go that way. Maybe we'll get what we want there. And they're serving false gods that can't provide and can't protect and can't care and can't teach. And God's going, no, no, no. The only way for you to have life, true life, abundant life, good life, healthy life, safe life is with me. Turn to me and I will remember you and I will remember my promise to you. I will be your God. You will be my people and you will dwell forever with me. And he says this strange thing here. He says, I will have compassion on them as a man has compassion on his son who serves him. Seems like a weird thing, right? Again, that like egotistical dad, like serve me, my son. Feed me some grapes. Rub my feet. My feet are ticklish, so I don't let my sons do that. It's like, what? Like you're only compassionate on your son when they serve you? No, no, listen. That's, That's not the picture being painted here. God called Israel his son. 
This was his child. He called them as his special people so that he, he can show how good he is through them so that other people would see and he would adopt them in as his children as well. And they weren't serving him and they weren't loving him and they weren't trusting him and they were turning away from him. And so one day, after this book ends, after God speaks through the prophet Malachi, 400 years later, a perfect son was born into the world. God's true, perfect, incredible, amazing son, Jesus, was born. And he served the father perfectly, the way Israel never had. He served his father by stepping away from his throne and his kingdom in heaven and coming to a dirty, broken world. He served his father by serving the least of these. Remember the greatest commandments, love God, love others. God said, you haven't loved me. You haven't loved one another. You haven't loved the outsider. And Jesus moves to the outsider and he sits with the sinners and the prostitutes and the tax collectors and the people that nobody else would be around. And he also sits with the Pharisees, the religious, the elite. And he, with all of them, welcomes them to a table. He welcomes them to a feast that would happen one day in his kingdom. And he welcomes them into community with him. And he lovingly teaches them and rebukes them. And some of them, some of them turn and they trust him. But many of them say, what would we gain by following this guy? Look it. The Romans are, they've captured him. They've imprisoned him. They're mocking him. They're beating him. They're nailing him to this wood. He's dead now. What do we gain by following him? I'll try my hand somewhere else. But there are a few who say, we've been wicked. We've pursued our own ways. We've rebelled against this God. This was the perfect son who served the father. If we follow after him and his ways, perhaps the father will have compassion on us. And then miraculously, they get to see and witness this perfect son rise from the grave, rise from the tomb, filled with the full power of the spirit of God. And then he breathes on them the power of that same spirit. And he says, now you go be the perfect children of God too. Serve him perfectly too. In my power, you can't do it alone, but in my power, serve the father. And when you mess up, there's still compassion for you because you have turned and you have trusted in me. You will be safe on that day, the coming day of the Lord. And so you guys, we are called to that same question right now. Will we trust God? Do we fear him? Do we acknowledge that he is a good, almighty provider, protector, caretaker? Or will we say, no, we'll try your hand at something else. This hasn't been working well for me. It's my prayer that every one of us in here, listen, we're gonna, we're gonna mess it up a lot, but it's my prayer that more and more each day we will continue to turn our face away from our selfishness, away from our sin, away from the comforts and distractions of this world and toward the Father who cares for us. Amen? And that way we will be a shining light 
we will be a salt that perseveres and preserves in this world. And others will be invited into that community too. Father, we ask that that would be true of us. We ask that you would move through this people, God, a messy, broken people. God, that's evidenced by uh, the worst of us all standing up here with a microphone right now getting to speak. And yet you, God, have compassion on us and you love us and you decide to put your affection on us, to place your spirit within us, and to move through us. What a good God you are. God, may we trust in you more and more each day. May the world around us see that you are the only one worth placing our trust in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.